Hello, I'm Tony Davitt and I'm the Head of Technical Strategy for Cisco in Ireland and Scotland. And welcome to the first episode of The Bridge, a Cisco and Exertus podcast. Over the course of this series, we'll be exploring a variety of themes that represent our key strategic pillars and look at how these impact our customers and the wider business world. You'll hear from a wide range of guests who'll share their expert knowledge and their insights as to how technology represents a bridge to the future of business and beyond. Each month, we'll host a panel discussion on the topic in hand, and then we'll wrap it up with a final segment, Technology Bites, featuring another guest who will offer deeper technical analysis for us on the challenges and innovations that came out of our team. In today's episode, we're looking at the future of work. It's an area that looks markedly different in a post-pandemic world to what we might have imagined only a few years ago, with a hybrid working model now becoming a long-term reality for many. But what are the business and cultural implications of this? How can companies optimise for a blend of on-site and remote working without sacrificing business results and company culture? Well, it gives me great pleasure to introduce you to my two guests today, who will help me answer some of the questions. G2 Patel and Rod McCarty. G2 is the Executive Vice President and General Manager for Cisco's Security and Collaboration Business Units globally. And Rod is the Managing Director for Exertas Ireland, Macro Evolution Services, and most recently, Exertas Global Operations, bringing over 30 years of experience within the IT distribution, e-commerce sales, and managed services sectors. You're both very welcome along today. We have a lot to get through, so let's dive right into our first topic. Uh, G2, the onset of COVID-19 pandemic forced organizations across the globe to undergo a monumental shift to remote working. Today, we're going through another massive challenge, navigating our way through post-pandemic return to the workplace. What are the big changes you're seeing and what do you think the post-pandemic future of work will look like? Well, firstly, thank you for having me on the show. And I think you're right on in the sense that there's a um, very different world that we will be entering into than the one that we've experienced for the past 18 months or so. And I think it's actually going to be harder than what it was in the past 18 months. So let me talk to you a little bit about what I see. I I think the future of work is definitively going to be hybrid, where people will work in mixed mode. Sometimes they'll choose to work in the office. Sometimes they'll choose to work at home, sometimes somewhere in the middle. And frankly, it's the reason I say it's harder is because 98% of the meetings that people will have will have at least one participant that's not in the same physical location as everyone else. And so how do you make sure that people don't feel left out on either side, the ones that are together uh, that could be a minority in a meeting or the ones that are together that could be a majority in a meeting so that no one feels left out in a meeting? And I think that's going to have some adjustments in how we think about operating meetings, how we think about the interactions with people. Uh, And so that's actually going to be the part that's tricky. And it's going to be a three-part you know, kind of initiative that we're seeing in companies, there's going to be an IT aspect to it where there's a tech, there's a tech stack that's required, which is the obvious piece. But then there's also a people and a culture and a policy dimension to it uh, with um, HR and, um, you know, the CHR and so on and so forth. And then there's a facilities dimension. And actually, 
how you think about reimagining and reconfiguring your facility. So those three things, those three functional areas will come together in coming up with solutions, which historically have been very, you know, independent in the way that they ran. But you'll actually see a lot of synergy between all of those. So the way, the decisions you make on facilities will impact technology, will impact the people and culture side. Thanks for that, G2. Uh, some great points there. And actually, on the culture point, we'll come back to that uh, in a little while. Uh, Rod, how do you think businesses are coping with this transition? So I've no doubt it's been challenging for most businesses. Fluid adaptation, I think, is the order of the day, because if you look at what's been happening throughout the pandemic, it's been a constant stream of changing messages, of having to shift, having to change updates, dates, deadlines being moved back cases increasing, making changes, making plans, and then having to push back again. I mean, as recently as today, we've made an internal decision to push back our planned return date again in light of of government advice and what they seem to be planting seeds on uh, is that there's more concerns and then the the next stage of opening up may not happen. So I think entire sectors uh, of the country have been in remote working state, as, as G2 has said, for the last 18 months or so. I think in that time, a lot of employees have seen major changes to their work home life uh, too. Uh, and while many companies have already seen a return to work, I think those new challenges result in a need for having heightened awareness, you know, because we've got people who are maybe a little nervous about coming back, anxieties, challenges about childcare, challenges about vaccination status, you know, and there's a whole area of GDPR that created a very difficult environment for for businesses to manage as well. I think one cohort that we shouldn't forget are the employees who didn't have a choice, the employees who've been in uh, throughout the pandemic, and they will also have to adapt to more people coming back into the office too. So, so, and new employees, you know, it's new employees coming to work and businesses that have never had a chance to meet the people they're actually working with outside of a 2D image. Mm-hmm. So, so the whole new um, set of challenges, awareness, planning, and being able to shift and adapt, I think is going to be the order of the day. And that's before we even go near the challenges relating to resources, because things have changed. People have returned to home countries, resource availability is challenged, uh, as we've seen. And I think that's going to be one of the next big areas uh, that are is going to uh, cause uh, a lot of difficulty amongst businesses on the return to work planning piece too. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, so G2, what are the main things businesses should focus on when creating this new hybrid working environment? Yeah, you know, actually, let's take a step back for a second, because I think there's there's an opportunity that we have that's pretty profound for humanity in general as a result of what happened in the past 18 months that I think we should take a moment and reflect on. People think about hybrid work and they're like, well, it's great because I might be able to have uh, afford flexibility to my employees two days working from home, three days from the office or whatever the combination is. And that's all great. And I think people need the flexibility and that is fantastic and it's going to be required. But I think there's a larger opportunity. And the larger opportunity is there's about 3 billion digital workers on the planet. A billion of them happen to be knowledge workers, 2 billion are frontline and field workers. And as a result, as a direct consequence of what happened over the past 18 months, we can, for the first time in history, credibly say that there might be a real possibility of ensuring that those 3 billion people are afforded an equal opportunity to participate in a global economy. 
regardless of their geography, regardless of the language preference, regardless of their personality type or socioeconomic level or tech proficiency level or, or any of the other constraints that have actually been imposed on people as a result of which they don't have equal access to opportunity. Because we know that opportunity is pretty unevenly distributed throughout the world. But if you think about human potential, it most certainly is not. And so I think that when you start thinking about like, what is the exciting part? It is no longer a debate that the economy could continue when people work in a distributed mode. And when they can, you can actually have every individual aspire to be part of any global brand that they want to associate themselves with. So if you happen to be a, an individual in a village in Bangladesh or in the heart of Silicon Valley, I, ideally you can both participate equally in a global economy. And then the, what's great for companies is that they can also now go out and source talent globally. Because what you have right now is highest rate of people sometimes, number of people that are looking for jobs and highest rate of number of companies looking for people to fill the jobs. And those can't and shouldn't exist simultaneously. So there's actually this huge opportunity to do this. And as you think about what organizations will need to think about, there's five key characteristics that we think are very important as they think about hybrid work. You, they have to afford flexibility. They have to make sure that people feel included and so that no one feels like a second-class participant and can engage and feels like they have an equal seat at the table no matter where the table is. They have to make sure that they are proactive on being supportive to their employees from a mental health and well-being standpoint because it's great to think about productivity, but if you don't think about you know mental health and well-being, then productivity is a derived outcome. It's, a, it's the other side of the same coin, and so you have to make sure you think of that. They have to think about, as Broad mentioned, uh, security, privacy, compliance, all of those dimensions. You know, privacy is a basic human right. Internet connectivity is a basic human right. Those aspects are pretty important. And then lastly, they have to think about how do their, how does their IT staff and facility staff literally manage this environment? Um, because you have to support people at home, on the move, in the office, and you have to make sure that they stay secure, they stay productive, they stay connected, they can maintain their mental health and well-being. So I think there's a huge upside for humanity. And there is um, some, you know, interesting challenges that have to be sorted through around technology, you know, people and culture, as well as facilities, reimagination. But net net, I think this is a fantastic set of possibilities that open up because you just level the playing field for the world uh, as a result of tech. And that, there's nothing more exciting we could be doing um, at this stage than just leveling the playing field for, you know, um, the entire world to participate. So it, it's very exciting. Yeah, completely agree. I uh, I often think that we should use the pandemic as a catalyst for positive change. Um, and I think that sort of, you know, uh, is to your points. And, and actually, one way where we try and instill positive change is to actually run town halls. And I know, Rod, you actually recently ran a town hall survey and it showed that 58% of respondents were looking forward to returning to the office on a flexible hybrid basis, while 30% were not. What do those results mean to you as a business leader and, employee, and our employees' expectations different from what they were pre-pandemic? Yeah, um, I think most people's expectations have changed one way or another. I think the technological advancements that have been almost forced upon the world kicked off a lot of the old legacy school thinking, you know, you, you can't do your job if you're not in the office. If I can't see you, I can't manage you. I mean, the reality is in most cases, none of that's true anymore, right? Mm. And I think that's the importance technology enablement has had but I think even more so, it's it's been 
my belief and experience that when you trust people to be responsible, they tend to outperform even your highest expectation. Trust and performance ultimately drive evolution of change. I would say most people have arguably ended up working even harder whilst remote, almost as a sense of their responsibility to justify your trust in them. Mm -hmm. um, and that has to be bi-directional. So we now face the challenge of rebalancing so people don't work so hard that they lose that balance of work and home needs. And as G2 has said, that the mental well-being is becoming an even more important focus for all of us. But I think in relation to the town hall, the framing of that question was, was, was specifically about are you looking forward to returning to, the, uh, to work on a hybrid basis? And um, so I think it's great that all of those people who are looking forward to, to, to coming back, but the truth is we miss them. We miss people. We miss human interaction. You know, the technology has been great, but that energy that you get that you feed off other people has been lacking. Uh, and I think businesses have missed that quite a lot. Um, I think in our case, we're going to operate a gentle hybrid return with each team coming in one day per week so that we we recreate that team dynamic uh, that has been missing in some ways. And then the rest of the week will be on, on that remote based or an ad hoc uh, system. But I think we've got to get back to having some fun because as fun as collaboration tools are, you can't replicate the human to human interaction uh, piece. Um, in the case of, of the 30% who weren't looking forward to coming back, you know, for me, it wasn't so surprising because it's been a long time since having an all on-site workforce. I think each of them will have their own reasons. Um, and we've touched on some of them earlier on. I think the consistency, though, you know, comes back into play. We need to be communicating well while we've talked about, you know, being consistent between hybrid and what we'd call resident employees. We also need to have consistency be between hybrid and hybrid workers. It's not just about finding uh, individual solutions, which would arguably be unworkable, create unrest. It's about finding reasonable solutions that apply to people with the same kind of role and applying solutions in a fair and consistent way. Um, the solution, though, must, as I say, be bi-directional to the worker employees. Uh, employees also have a responsible to the employers. So, so that symbiotic balance is what gives us the best chance of succeeding. But for sure, the world's changed and we're never going back to the way it was. No, absolutely not. Uh, and actually, to, to some of the points that you made there, um, you know, we, we, we all know how to work, you know, if everybody's in the office and we kind of learned how to work when everybody was at home. And we've all heard or even experienced ourselves uh, how working remotely at a company where most of the workforce is at the office usually translates into a poor employee experience. So, JT, given that it's highly likely, uh, as you said earlier on, nearly 100% of meetings are going to have somebody that is remote. How are we going to provide a consistent experience at home and in the office that is inclusive to all participants? Yeah, I think it's it's very important that the the playing field is leveled where everyone feels that they are able to be heard, that they're able to pick up the visual cues and signals of who all is in the meeting. And that the physical configuration of spaces is pretty important because the way that we used to um, configure spaces, let's say, you know, pre-pandemic, was conference rooms were designed largely for the people in the room and how they would interact. And now what you need to have is because 98% of the meetings will have at least one participant that's not in the room, you'll need to design those those configurations, keeping in mind, not just the people in the room, but also the people that are outside the room. So 
um, I think artificial intelligence technology can help hugely over here. So I'll give you an example. We're working right now. If you think about like a, what a typical scenario would be, there'd be three people that are in a room, four people that are not in the room. And that's a typical meeting that you might have. And the people that are in the room could feel left out. And the people that are outside the room could be, feel left out because the folks that are in the room, they might have one camera in a long room configuration of some sort. And you can't read the person who's sitting in the back and their body language or facial expressions. And then it, the connection goes away. It's not as strong. And so what do you do? Because the thing about the pandemic that was easy was everyone had an equal, you know, kind of, you know, visual view of each other. And so what we're doing is creating this kind of camera intelligence technology, which can detect the people in a room, focus in on them and make sure that you create individual video streams for every single person in a room and, uh, and, and, and give you a close up. Those kind of things can really make a big difference because now no one feels left out and everyone feels heard and everyone can rest assured that their facial expressions and body language and all of that can be actually experienced by everyone else. And, uh, you know, uh, nonverbal communication is 90% of the communication that goes back and forth with people. So if you don't have that, you actually lose a lot. And so um, we're pretty excited about some of the tech challenges that are in front of us and how we're solving them, but also how this will actually fundamentally change how real estate gets configured and workspaces get reimagined. And um, it's, it's, it's super exciting to see um, all the possibilities over here. And we're in the very early innings of this. Like it's... Um, there's still a lot of innovation that needs to be done, but I, I, I do believe some of the new advancements that we're making right now are completely game-changing. Excellent. Thanks very much, uh, G2. Uh, in, in a hybrid working scenario, especially when there's multiple time zones involved, a lot of companies are adopt, adopting asynchronous policies as opposed to synchronous, where communication can happen in real time because everyone is present at the same time. The workday won't revolve around calendars and schedules so much. So, Rod, could this be an end of meetings as we know them? <laughs> That's a great question. Now, I, I have to say, like anything, there are pros and cons to asynchronous over synchronous. Um, for me, the asynchronous, while it can ensure that time is given and thought and consideration are applied before input, um, which can reduce the need for some level of follow-up sessions, I think people can maybe take a better, more balanced view without the day-to-day -day pressures that they have that sometimes distract the thought process as well, and sometimes their attention levels, let's be honest. So I think technology now enables centralized updates with version tracking, multiple people contributing at the same time, different times, uh, different instances. It's all really impressive. But I would suggest, on the other hand, the synchronous meetings um, can feed on that live energy that I talked about, the brainstorming piece that happens between people, which in my experience, which is sometimes where the best ideas and solutions come from. So in true, in through both methods, you know, they'll suit different people. Key thing though is having that choice. So you can harness what's best for the situation. But for me today, at least, I sit in the synchronous live group sessions as my preferred way, but with follow-ups actions performed asynchronously when mm. people have had a chance to consider. And that way we can maximize the best of both worlds. But yeah. Yeah. And if I can, if I can add to what Rod's saying over here, this is a really important point because asynchronous has historically been thought of as messages and email. And I think there's going to be a huge opportunity ahead of us for making video asynchronous as well. And so when you start thinking, we, we just launched a, a product called Vidcast and Vidcast is an asynchronous tool, which allows you to record, um, um, 
a screen share session or whatever it might be. Let's say it's a demo or you, you have a presentation to record and you can send it over. And then the people who are reviewing that, you get stats of how many, how many people have viewed it and they can comment on it and they can interact with it. And you can listen to it at 2x speed if you wanted to. And so there's a, in this world of people operating in a distributed manner, there's a very, very interesting dynamic that's coming about, which is you don't always need to coordinate time zones. When you need to make decisions, you come together. And when you need to get people informed, there's a far better way of doing it through an asynchronous medium. And the asynchronous medium, like one of the stats that we found fascinating in the hybrid work index we launched was 47% of the people speak up in meetings. 53% of the people don't say anything in a meeting. So there's two things you have to do. One is, what do you do to make the 53% feel more comfortable to say something in a meeting so that they can participate? But two, the ones that aren't saying anything because they just want to consume, they might not necessarily have to go out and uh, do meetings at odd hours if it's a distributed team. They can just listen to a recording offline. And it just changes culturally how um, how people will in, in, engage and interact with each other. And it's it's um, it's a huge opportunity for us to make sure that we can shave off some time and be more efficient in in in, in, uh, in syndicating the message to a broader audience. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks very much. Um, I'd like to take it back actually, uh, G two, to something you mentioned earlier on, which is culture. How much of a company's culture comes from close proximity and the actual physical office space? How do you think this hybrid way of working, of blending remote work with in-person interactions is going to impact workplace culture? And how can leaders still foster the culture and values and create that sense of togetherness? Look, the way I think about this is um, there are certain things which actually work very well in virtual mode. And then there's other things which we haven't been able to crack yet in virtual mode. So to what Rod was talking about, um, let's just say, what is not working in a completely virtual mode? The virtual mode of communication has become extremely transactional in the way that it works. And what do I mean by that? It, I mean that there is a set agenda. People aren't comfortable with awkward silences in virtual meetings. And so the moment there's a pause and a break, people are like, all right, are we done? Any other questions? Okay, fine. Thank you. Contrast that to a dinner that you're having with someone. And in a dinner, you what you have is a baked in, because of the format, wander time. You're able to go out and explore different areas. Well, let, tell me a little bit about your family, Ron. Um, you know, how many kids do you have? What's going on? What, 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 what was your background? And then you can go into work and then you talk about the food and then you go back. And what that does is that ability to wander sparks creativity. Uh, and those things um, need to be factored in into modes where we are working in this mixed mode. And so I think there's a cultural shift that needs to happen where wander time and the ability to have icebreakers and engage people in conversation um, is very important. And so, you know, uh, capabilities that we've acquired through technologies like Slido really help because what, what it does is engages people in a dialogue that might create some wander time. And I think that wander time is very important. And the second one is serendipity. You know, do you run into someone and just have a hallway conversation? And then the third one is visual cues that come about very naturally because of proximity 
that you have to work harder at to be proactive on. Because if someone's not feeling as well, if someone's feeling down and you see them every day, you know that, you know, John's not feeling quite the way that he usually does. He's not, he's not himself today. But in a more virtual world where everything is transactional and agenda-based, you have to be a lot more thoughtful of how you reach out to people and see how they're doing and have those kind of, you know, conversations as well around uh, being supportive to each other as a community. And I think there's, those are the areas where there's a lot of opportunity for growth in, um, on the virtual dimension. But the reality is this, we have to figure out as a society to work in a mixed mode. I don't think just coming back to the office and being physically present is right for humanity, because if you do that, you'll leave a lot of people behind. And we have now seen that there's an opportunity to not leave people behind. So we have to figure it out. I think there's some things that work well in one medium, some things that work well in the other medium, and you have to keep making sure that there's adjustments that happen over time. And, uh, you know, the, the, there has to be enough of a dialogue around this where people will have to make sure that they change their muscle memory on how they think about these kind of modes of communication. And, and I, would, I would support all of that, particularly where you talk about, you know, those, those subtle uh, cues, uh, G2, with body language and just reading the room a lot better than you can virtually. Um, I think w- one other thing I just wanted to mention into the mix is when we talk about the hybrid model and how we balance that return, uh, et cetera, I, I think there's, there's potentially a misgiving that sometimes, people, you know, a lot of the conversation seems to be about the, the people coming back from, from remote working into the office. And again, I just reiterate, there's a whole bunch of people there who've been resident throughout the whole pandemic and beyond. Mm. And it's important that we don't allow their voices to become muffled out in all of the attention going to how do we integrate um, remote workers back into, into hybrid uh, too. So so I think there, there are many challenges there. I, I think it's, it's easy to fall into the the category of thinking that we're rewarding people somehow by being flexible about their return. It's not, we need to find ways to reward and engage and motivate people or whether they're remote workers. And I think, you know, we've a lot of collective challenges to overcome and there, I don't think there are any simple answers. And I think everything does become a localized requirement and, and adapting it to, to, to what suits most people. But it is a fascinating time and technology may help A or V or who knows what the what the world's going to bring next. But mm. uh, but people need to stay centered. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you talked about challenges um, and one of the big challenges, and we kind of just touched on this as a, when you were uh, responding earlier on. And we've been talking about security an awful lot in our next episode of the podcast. And G2, I know security is close to your heart. So before we wrap up our panel discussion, uh, I've one more question for you, G2. Uh, remote working came with a, a bigger attack surface and a lot more devices, which ultimately increased security risks. What issues should businesses be on the lookout for and what tools or policies are essential to enhance cybersecurity? Yeah, I mean, look, it's um, the, the attackers are more sophisticated than they've ever been before. People are, the applications are moving to the cloud and people are working from anywhere. And when you, when you start putting all those things together, the, the places where attacks can happen are, you know, the users, the device, the network, and uh, the applications and data. And it's extremely important that the way in which security uh, is set up within an organization can be simplified and that for the user, the complexity is taken away from security because, you know, 55% of the breaches that occur, occur because of negligent use, not because of malicious use. 45% is because of malicious use. So I think there's, there's a level of friction in security systems today 
which are way too high for the average user to understand that security is an intimidating topic for most people. And we got to make sure that we simplify it like, just like anything else. And um, the moment we do, I think you can actually, uh, you know, uh, something as simple as two-factor authentication. When you start doing two-factor authentication, the, the probability of breaches goes up precipitously. So those are the kind of things we just have to make make more approachable for people as we do it. Yeah, Tom, thanks very much for that. And as I say, our next podcast will be on security, so we'll be delving into this topic. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a big topic. On a lot more depth, absolutely. Well, well, that's it for our panel discussion today. Uh, G2 and Rod, thank you so much for your insights and knowledge on the future of work. Uh, you can find out how to keep up with both G2 and Rod's work in our show notes. And while you're there, why not like and subscribe to the podcast too? G2's last point there leads me really nicely to our next section, Technology Bytes, where we'll be getting a deep dive into our topic from a technical perspective. Joining me today is Jerry Callaghan, Collaboration Sales Specialist at Cisco. Jerry, you're very welcome along to the bridge. Thank you, Tony. Uh, you're very welcome. Today's conversation threw up some interesting discussion points. But one thing that strikes me is that no company, irrespective of size, will have only one vendor's equipment or software. So what are we doing to solve this and help our customers succeed? Tony, thank you for having me on the show. And you're absolutely right. No customer will have software from a single vendor today. Even customers today who are using, for example, perhaps Microsoft Teams, they will get invited to WebEx meetings. They will get invited to Zoom meetings. Uh, we use WebEx internally. We get invited to Microsoft Teams meetings and we get invited to Zoom, Zoom meetings. So we have to consider interoperability. How do software systems interact with each other. We've done a lot of work on our endpoints, which help us to interoperate with them. We've also done some work on an application level. So how do we join Teams meetings from our devices? And how do we interoperate between our platforms? Can WebEx meetings join and participate in a Microsoft Teams meeting? And likewise, can Microsoft Teams meetings join a Zoom meeting? So a lot of work is happening in this area to help improve interoperability. Um, at a device level, uh, the interesting thing is we've moved more from SIP-based connectivity. Now we're looking at WebRTC as a platform to allow services to interact with each other. So this is new. We're well advanced in the WebRTC space. Um, some other vendors are not as advanced as we are, um, but it is becoming the new method to interact between platforms. And there are multiple platforms, as you say. You mentioned a lot of innovation there, but why would somebody invest, why would a company invest in their endpoints if they already have somebody else's software? Or maybe they do have our own, but why would they invest in their endpoints? Great question, Tony. Endpoints are very expensive. I mean, our endpoints um, have great capabilities, very, very powerful capabilities. The key elements that are coupled into our endpoints focus on artificial intelligence and room monitoring. AI, as G2 referred to, gives it the ability to do face recognition, people counting. And we can couple that into the application at an application layer. But also measuring statistics from a room itself is key. We can send and capture environmental statistics. What's the temperature of the room? What's the air quality in the room? And we can feed all that information into a central management platform that could in turn, using APIs, program perhaps a building management server to react to conditions in a room. So our endpoints have a lot of AI coupled into them. We've also made some serious acquisitions that make the user experience within that very, very powerful. We've acquired, we've acquired uh, the likes of Socio and uh, Slido. G, uh, um, G2 mentioned Slido. 
Slido improves the user interaction within the meeting, makes the user experience much more seamless in the meeting. And Socio is an excellent way to manage the pre and post meeting experience. So all of that makes our app, our endpoints, when you, when you couple the software applications that we have, plus the hardware capabilities that we have, makes our endpoints very, very powerful. The last point I'd like to make, Tony, is our endpoints are very, very interoperable. We mentioned that the first question I asked was around interoperability with other vendors' platforms, uh, PECSIP, Microsoft Teams, and Zoom. It's key for us and for all vendors to make sure that we have interoperability between platforms. We had this challenge in the early days with mm. even PSDN days and, and SIP, the SIP days, trying to get interoperability between platforms. The standard that's developing today around this appears to be WebRTC, although SIP will remain. But interoperability for us is key. So from our endpoints, you can join a Microsoft meeting, you can join a Zoom meeting, you can join a WebEx meeting or a Google Meet meeting. So it becomes agnostic. Mm-hmm. You want to be able to join whatever meeting platform you, ha- you have in use in your business. At the start of the pandemic, good enough was kind of good enough, let's put it that way. But as we move into this hybrid world, um, what innovations or new technology are we bringing to make it much more inclusive? We talked about this earlier on with G2 and Rod, mm-hmm. uh, about that inclusivity for everybody, everybody having a, uh, a voice, if you like, uh, in, in a hybrid work environment. So what, what new tech are we bringing to the fore? So you're right. I listened to the conversation earlier, a great conversation around what I class as the user experience. Improving the experience at all levels for users is key. G2 spoke about AI technology that's coming to help position multi-stream for each individual within a call. And that's AI buried within our endpoints as well as the platform itself. Our devices have multiple levels of capability, particularly around face recognition. Uh, couple that face recognition with environmentals. And G2 actually mentioned the interaction you get, the human interaction by looking at somebody's face. You know, I know you, Tony. I want to see if you're ill. Perhaps our technology can help can help with that. Noise reduction is key as well. Um, we've made some key acquisitions around noise reduction, Baba Labs being key. And you did mention the the ice cream van next door, the dog barking, the children playing in the house. We ha- We now have the ability to completely remove scrub background noise from a conversation and only retain the actual speaker's voice. So that makes the experience much more unique within a video session. Um, and it makes our endpoints quite powerful, particularly in, in, in a home environment. Excellent. One thing that strikes me, you mentioned AI there, um, and I think it's often quoted that the, uh, the the most used phrase last year was, you're on mute. <laughs> I think it would be great if AI could detect when somebody actually starts talking and automatically you mute them, but also recognise that they're not just telling the dog to get down. Yes, Tony, wait till we see what happens. There's lots of development taking place along our hardware endpoints. Let's watch this space. Right, we look forward to that. Um, so thanks, Jerry. Some incredible innovation there. That's a wrap on episode one of The Bridge. Please make sure to subscribe now and be notified of new episodes. We'll be back next month with another great lineup for uh, tackling end-to-end security. We hope you'll join us. Bye.